0: Give
1: up, I just don't give a Presenting the art of knocking. Garrett. Diamond.
0: All right, so uh, hey everybody, this is Garrett with uh, Command Z and Art of NGF, and I'm here with a very special guest today for the Victim to Adventure podcast, and that is. Telman Knudsen, as you can see. What's up? <clears throat> Welcome to the show, Telman. And uh, I'll give you a little bit of background. You guys, uh, Telman is a longtime uh, internet marketer, kind of superstar uh, who's been lingering in the back of my mind for many, many years. So it's really cool we get to have him on the show. Uh, what I remember way back in the day was some really inspiring content uh, from a brand called Overcome Everything. So we're going to touch on that. Still alive and well. Alive excellent, excellent. And uh, we'll talk about some of your hypnosis background and uh, some of the stories and experiences that led uh, you, Telman, from what we call the state of the inner victim into what's very obviously uh, a grand adventurer at this point, uh, not only in marketing, but in life. And in, uh, I'd imagine in all other kinds of areas of your life from some of the pictures I've seen uh, through your face, on, on a good day. On a good day. <laughs> on a good day. Great. So um, why don't we dive right in and I'll ask you just to share that story about uh, when you were growing up uh, with the leg braces and the running and everything. Let's just leap right into that.
1: Yeah, well, first of all, I do want to apologize. I know you never open up an interview with an apology, but if I'm a little red faced and if I start sweating profusely in the middle of this interview, I, I just got back from a 45-minute barefoot run that was fast and furious, and it was longer and way more humid than normal for Vermont, which is where I live, and so the heat just zapped me and made me start sweating like crazy. So, sorry in advance, a little bit sweaty, too much barefoot running, um, and I'm also drinking a little protein smoothie so I don't pass out on anybody in the middle of the interview. Um <laughs> So I was actually thinking about this interview and, and the podcast show before um, I, I well, well you know before the show and while I was out on this run I was thinking about okay so we're on the art of not giving a fuck here and um, I was like do I really not give a fuck is that true you know I was like thinking about it a little bit and I just I, I had this shadow of um of of a memory pass through my mind of being. I think in junior high school or maybe high school, and and hearing a few kids uh, gathered, you know, outside of my peripheral vision, they were just like he, he just doesn't give a fuck. And um, I, I, this is something that I started realizing was a was a a, a a way of achieving enormous freedom when I was very young, and I know maybe a lot of people have this awakening in the midlife crisis, you know, you know they, they're, they're 40 years old, which I'm turning, you know, in January. And um, all of a sudden, my life has no meaning and they get divorced and then their second career and then they're 40 pounds overweight. And, and, and what, what the hell is happening to me? And, and what am I going to do for the rest of my life? For a lot of people, that happens uh, as an adult, I've discovered. And for me, it happened basically in junior high school and uh it changed the way i looked at the world forever but um i i I really want to talk about some of these cool things about how essentially not giving a fuck can um it just gives you options it gives you so many more options than than normal people have and um i was just contemplating that whole idea while we were while i was out on this run of, of 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 why it's so cool but All right. So basically here's the deal. I grew up in rural New Hampshire. Okay. I grew up in Enfield, New Hampshire, very small town. I didn't go to a a one room schoolhouse. You know, I've made a couple friends over the years with folks that, you know, truly grew up rural, (laughs) Right. And, and, and did the one room schoolhouse thing. um, You know, with 20 kids, you know, K through 12 or whatever. And, 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 and that's extreme. I wasn't quite that extreme. Uh, we had about a hundred kids in my class, right? Um in junior high and high school. But that was five towns. You know, that was five towns. That was Enfield, Grafton, Canaan, Dorchester. Um Enfield, Grafton, Canaan, Dorchester. I'm I'm missing one. Anyway, so the really interesting thing about this was it was a rural uh redneck town, right? Uh in New Hampshire. It was all um all trucks and guns that I mean, that's what you got. You had trucks and guns and I just wasn't a trucks and guns guy. Not my thing. You know, if, if you're into trucks and guns, more power to you. You know, that's awesome. But I was just never into it. And um, so, you know, growing up, I was really shy. I was really introverted. Right. I had ADD and, and still do, you know, it, I mean, it, now it's a huge strength. Then it was a huge flaw. You know, sucked. It sucked. Um, it meant bad grades across the board meant ne- I could never turn anything in on time. It meant I could only work under extreme duress, right? Um, it, also, I was really bad socially. I was just had one of those nerdy, awkward, um, mostly introverted personalities and I didn't get, uh, social behavior and the weird small talk that everybody did and all these types of things. Um, so so I, was very, I just didn't make friends easily um, uh, you know all these types of things. So I was nerdy and introverted so I didn't really have any friends. I was ADD so I got really bad grades, okay? I was uh, I had twisted legs, so I was born with a, with that with a disease, a very minor disease called femoral antiversion. So it's actually a leg deformity where both of my femurs, which is the bone that attaches between your hip and your knee, were bent inward, so basically both my feet pointed in at you know forty five degree angles. I essentially couldn't walk without tripping over myself for my entire childhood. Cool. Sucked. Okay, sucked. Um, so bad socially, twisted leg. Oh, I had no hand or eye coordination. I actually couldn't reliably catch a ball until I was twenty three years old. I am not exaggerating. So uh, any kind of sports were out, you know, I was, I was skinny. So I had that going for me and you know, I, I had a really strong metabolism. So that was good. And I had tons of energy cause I was ADD. So, so I wasn't lazy. That was good. But, um, I had all these things, that just weren't working for me in public school, right? My, my parents got divorced when I was young. So, you know, parents got divorced, parents got remarried, <laughs> parents got divorced again, you know, have more parents and step parents than I can count on one hand. So, that, I mean, that's kind of, you know, weird for your family life, right? And I mean, fortunately, things are all settled down and good now, but but there was a lot of flux as a kid. Uh, and so, essentially, going to school every day, for me, was the worst thing ever. No friends, bad grades, sucked at sports, you know, got made fun of all the time. Um I mean it just it wasn't any fun my childhood was not that fun for me and so growing up I got picked on a lot I I was a black sheep in a sea of cotton <laughs> you know <laughs> and um uh I I and it, it, it just destroyed my self esteem like I had no self confidence whatsoever you know I it, it, there was no, it was all um just me being angry and upset and and pissed off at everyone everywhere and that's how i felt um for the majority of my childhood and what ended up happening w- was i realized i got made fun of a lot and i dreaded going to school because i dreaded getting picked on i dreaded being the you know target in the food fights i dread you know all those kind of things that, that 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 the classic uh, nerdy kid you know it's, it's it's peter parker you know when, when you know, getting picked on by flash thompson like it sucks and so um, at one point, we went school shopping, and um, it was before school started. It was before eighth grade. And so, um, no, no, it wasn't before eighth grade. It was, it, was, it, was, it was the transition from eighth grade to ninth grade. So it was the transition from, from junior high school to high school. And I was like, okay, we're starting fresh here. I, 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 it's a whole new world, right? Big turning point. There's going to be a school filled with older kids that aren't jackasses like all the kids that are my age, you know. And um, this is going to be great. This is going to be good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna reinvent myself here. And and I was like, all right, what kind of shoes can I buy for my back to school that'll freak everybody out the most? I was like, if everybody's going to give me shit for what I wear anyway, I'm going to start freaking people out this year. I'm just going to start intentionally rubbing people the wrong way and see what happens. <laughs> And basically, looking back on it all, what I realized is that um, I used to be really frustrated and angry with people's behavior and the way people acted. And what I realized is that they're doing it on autopilot. Almost 99% of the people out there, 99% of the time, yourself included, even if you're a weirdo black, it's all autopilot. People behave like robots in most situations most of the time. That's what keeps us alive. That's why you're breathing right now. That's why your heart's beating, right? That's why all the subconscious thoughts that you're having are are having. So anyway, long story short, I guess it's not really that short. Long story long, what happened was – I bought these shoes. They're they kind of like Converse uh, all-star shoes, you know, the, the, the um, uh, canvas upper. And the, but they're Vision Streetwear. They're skateboarding shoes. I don't know why there was a skateboarding store in Lebanon, New Hampshire, because there was no sidewalks. But uh, we, we had a skateboarding store, and I went in there, and I bought Vision Streetwear cow print shoes that were the weirdest looking shoes you could get as a kid in the 80s. And, um, I wore them and sure enough, people started giving me shit about my shoes. I was like, this is the best shoes ever. I I ended up getting three more pair just like them, just because people would comment on them and they were doing it in a malicious way. But I was like, success. I won this first battle. And so over the course of high school, I started, um, I started wearing lipstick. I started painting my fingernails. Um, I got a three and a half foot tall mohawk. I pierced my eyebrow. I pierced my nose. I was the only kid in the entire school that was doing anything like this. I was wearing hot pink miniskirts to school and people were getting all freaked out. They were losing it. And it was awesome. Uh, and I, I realized that I could completely control the way people would react to me. Um, so why not? And it was, it was the most liberating thing ever. It was the most liberating thing ever. And so I turned all my weird quirkiness. I just owned it. And, um, now in business, many years later, most of the time you'll see me in a suit and tie. Um, I'm wearing a a shirt for this occasion for two reasons. I just got back from a barefoot run. I'm sweating like crazy. I also thought it would be good. This is one of my favorite t-shirts. I love to wear it. says. Not a crime has got a top hat with a big weird bike and he's riding around anyway. So now in business, it's, it's not, I do give a fuck what people think about me now in business because the way people interpret me or, or the way that people respond to me is in direct proportion to how well my sales systems work and how much money I make right? So people are still going to respond. It's just that making a choice of, of how you're going to come across, what you're going to do, how you're going to speak in order to serve your own best interests, whatever it is you're trying to accomplish all. uh, If you realize that you can do and you can be whoever you need to be, you can do, and you can, you can be anything in the entire world starting now, then you have, Options galore from relationships to making more money to getting into amazing shape for becoming a spiritual master, you know, for becoming the ultimate ninja warrior. I mean, whatever your thing is, it's yeah. cool. Um, but you can do it if you stop caring what people think about you and you start realizing that what you do changes how people think about you and, and the way that you do it. So, so anyway, that's my um kind of first not giving a fuck story of, of kind of what I first
0: made some of these real, realizations when I was young. That brings up a lot of interesting points uh, specifically that you mentioned that now you do give a fuck obviously about the way certain people see you and the way you present yourself, but it's all in a deliberate manner in a manner that you've chosen that you went through uh, the rejecting of all, all kinds of things like, not caring what uh, people who obviously hate you think about you for one thing and not trying to live up to or match up to whatever the hell it is they expect of you, which then suddenly opens the door to, Oh, well, what the hell do I, how do I want to be perceived? What's actually going on here? Rather than that chain of, uh, of reaction that could keep uh, a person locked up trying to serve the people that will never like them for their whole life. So that's why we call it the art of not giving a fuck because it takes some refinement. Uh, not pure rejection because we end up at rebel, you know, we end up at reactive rebellion. And like you said, it just remains on autopilot as a reaction to what we don't like, or, you know, still serving that same uh, principle. So I'd like to hear how that came about for you. And uh, you know, where, where does this, where did it connect for you from learning that going through those experiences in school to then leaping into business and trying to do this stuff for yourself? Yeah, well, I mean, they're all over the place, right? So in personal
1: development, for example, uh, or, or, or in NLP or neuro-linguistic programming terms, I know that you're into some of that kind of stuff, um, you, know, you talk about generating your own internal state or you're generating a state or moving into a state, right? Uh, or we can also talk about emotions. And and when someone says something nasty or negative to you, right, most of the time, most of us feel bad and then we feel angry, right? First we feel, Ugh! we get hit and then, and then we get angry. And when, when, when get angry, everybody's a different way of dealing with that. Some people just back off and go introverted and, and just back away from the fight. And some, you know, it's fire or flight, right? Some people want to go and punch your lights out. And so when you can learn to generate your own internal emotions and choose how you want to feel and how you want to react most of the time especially when you're in one of those high intensity reactive positions where you could do or say something very stupid um just with a knee-jerk reaction when you learn to take control of that um you well you're able to do things like you can start public speaking without that big of a problem, right? That's a simple, a simple, practical application where you don't get free all freaked out about what people are going to think about you. Yeah. Now you can make all more money because you're willing to have the, have the guts to get up and, and speak from stage and suffer through <laughs> the absolute inevitable rejection that you'll experience over and, over and over and over and over and over and over and over again if you ever try to sell from stage, unless you happen to be one of the few naturally gifted, in which case you you are. Congratulations. The rest of us. Um, you have to suffer in order to learn how to be uh, much more effective at, in this case, making money. And, and there are all sorts of different ways that you can do that. It's not just about money, though. You know, If you want to be an Olympian, you have to not give a fuck about what all of your non-Olympian or non-Olympic hopeful friends have to say about your chances at ever becoming an Olympian. You only have to give a fuck about what Olympians and Olympic hopefuls have to say Hopefully, uh, Olympic veterans. Those are the only people you should give a fuck about, but you should pay close attention. Yeah, what they in that scenario, right? So, I guess that that's the big point. Is I realized that um, the way I feel is my choice always in all situations. Bottom line, okay. Yeah. Um, from physical pain through any any mental emotional state, we as human beings have enormous, if not complete control over that if you choose to study it. And, um, that has had endless applications for me in business, first as a hypnotist and hypnotherapist. I studied brain waves and peak performance in college. I ended up taking my um, leg deformity and and literally with mind over matter in high school, bent my legs back around forward and became one of the fastest distance runners in, in the state of New Hampshire and ended up running nationally in college. Wow. Um and, and and you know, to this day, um run run multiple times a week, if not every day. Um, and and turn that you know huge weakness into a strength because I just did not give a fuck about all the people that 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 were not supportive. It just they, they, their opinion stopped mattering to me. It just kind of drifted off like one ear out the other, like a boring teacher didn't even notice, you know. Um, and in business, um, as as you make more money, as you grow one of the things that tends to happen is you get more haters, right? This is common for anyone that, you know, especially once you break the million dollar mark, um, uh, if you're focused on being a blogger, if you're focused on social media, if you're focused on building an email list, you get all sorts of people, you've got hundreds of thousands, millions of people who now get a virtually anonymous voice and can take pot shots at you because you're an easy target, because you're louder than everyone else, because you're doing more business, right? You're selling more stuff. You know, you're selling more hot dogs or you're selling more, you know, eBooks or you're selling more, you know, albums on iTunes or whatever you're selling, it doesn't matter. And as you get bigger, I mean, most of us, when we start out, you know, I I know that you've interviewed a lot of direct response guys. You've interviewed Mark Joyner and your friends with Ben Settle with both are friends of mine as well. And Mark was a very early mentor to me. He taught me so much stuff. Uh, But, but the reality is at first, you know which is, when you're building your audience you're building your tribe you're building your following right in our case we build our email list because it's just a smart thing to do uh, if you if you actually want to make some money right and what happens is at first you check all your emails and then what happens is you grow and you grow and you grow and and, and eventually people start writing you hate mail and 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 for me that sucked uh, i mean The hate mail, like you get 10 pieces of fan mail and one piece of hate mail. And what's, and and what are you thinking about as you're going to bed at night? The Fucking hate mail, you know? And, um, you know, and, but then I realized something really interesting, which is that, um, roughly 4% of the population of the world is certifiably insane. And, uh, I realized, oh, 4% of my list is also certifiably insane that's where most of this hate mail is coming from. And I looked at the numbers and sure enough. So the, the point is that, that as you get bigger, as you make more money, you have to deal with bigger problems. You have to deal with higher pressures. I remember once I was I, in, in 2009, I decided to run across America barefoot and raise money for homeless youth. And it was a project with Richard Branson and Virgin Unite. And Joe Polish was very heavily involved and it was awesome.
0: No. And,
1: um, And I got a scathing newspaper article written about me from a local Vermont reporter who was trying to be a punk ass. And it was so negative and nasty. And it just destroyed me because it was um, the first like massive newspaper article written about me. And it was, Tellman is the devil, you know? And and all I and I was raising money for homeless kids running across America barefoot and this 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 guy just decided to um, be a weirdo and it bugged me so much and I went to a mastermind group. I was I was uh, in Joe Polish's twenty five K group, his genius network mastermind. Paul Abdul was there, and I, I I got up on stage you know, it was a little stage because there were only you know thirty people there or whatever, got up in front of the room on the hot seat. I was like, guys, I'm dealing with some media stuff here. You know, my list was about I think half a million 450,000 people um, at the time and um I had like 35 employees or something and you know we we had a, we we were cooking and um I tell the story and Paula Abdul basically lost in my face. <laughs> right? She's like <laughs> you're telling me you're upset because you had a local small town news reporter write a nasty article about you in the newspaper. Oh, my heart goes out to you. Tell me. And it just put it in perspective, you know, put it in perspective because, um, so, so so that's the point is the more successful you'll get by nature, the more people are going to dislike you and they have no problem letting you know. And if you give a fuck, you're fucked. You'll get stunted there's nothing you can do. You're, you're, you'll, you'll, you'll stay absolutely stuck at a certain level of growth, no matter what, if you're afraid of criticism. And uh, I'm not saying that I never get mad about criticism. I'm not saying that I never get pissed if somebody writes a nasty you know, blog comment to me or says something negative on a Facebook page. Like It still bugs me. It's true. But does it bug you over and over and over again? Or are you able to let it out in the breath and move on? You know, yeah. and not think about it ever again for the rest of your life, you know and so those are some those are some examples of some practical applications
0: uh of of what we're doing yeah, no, it makes total sense and uh, it's great what you said about Paula Abdul. I can just see that because obviously she faced uh serious hate from the beginning to the to uh to the present. as every music celebrity does
1: right. Yeah. And probably
0: most actors and actresses, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Certainly Certainly
1: all politicians, right? Oh,
0: yeah. (laughs) completely. Anybody in the real public eye in that way. I mean, uh, we've we've made a bit of a study out of uh, Eminem's career and sort of the development of the way he was perceiving, you know, his situation. What I came to a conclusion there that he probably has more people that hate him on the planet than actually love him, which is, is quite possible. Sure. Have more of that and and what's really interesting is even
1: anti-fans right yeah,
0: exactly uh, which you know do as much to keep him in the in the public eye as anybody else and what's fascinating about it is even Amazon and iTunes the way they the way they um, arrange and respect reviews is that if there's a range of reviews from five star down to one star they're gonna give that book or that title of that album more prominence or that podcast more prominence than one that only has all five-star reviews right so Actually, it's getting smarter more legit, legit. smarter yeah. exactly
1: no, nobody's nobody's gonna pay somebody to go in and give them negative reviews right <laughs> right
0: exactly and also that the fact that it uh it shows that it's it's somewhat discerning it's not just polarizing. Uh, well, right. yeah yeah people it gives gives people something to think about Right. To actually someone to really love or to really not like, you know, to really hate. Uh, and that is a more powerful product for iTunes or for Amazon than one in which, uh, it just has a bunch of glowing, you know, uh, adherence. That's right. So even in the review systems, we see that, uh, represented. So it's okay to have the people, you know, that fuel for coming from the people that don't like you as well. And in some ways it grants legitimacy, even though, uh, it's more subconscious I'd say, but, uh, for people to see that it makes you more of a real person. So it can work in your favor as long as it's not knocking you over.
1: Yeah. Yeah, But sometimes it will, you know, sometimes it will, you know, you, 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 uh, if you don't listen to people's feedback, if you're belligerent enough, if you're trying to keep the blinders on a little too long, I can bite you in the ass, (laughs) you know, paying attention to what your customers have to say is really important. Um, you know, paying, paying attention to what you're, Non-customers have to say who always complain but never buy anything. Not as important, right? Yeah. Um, you know, if, you have, if you have to weigh the two out, it's the same thing as if you want to be an Olympian. You listen to the advice of the Olympians, not your parents, really? right? <laughs> Unless they happen to be Olympians.
0: <laughs> Yeah and so many people do go asking advice uh, of their family and their friends about business and they're asking for making money or what yeah you
1: can't you can only ask advice from someone who has done it more than once <laughs> right
0: only ask advice from somebody who's 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 nailed it on several occasions over and over. Even, even the guy down running the hardware store or something like that in your town who's been running that thing for 20 years or the electrician you see walking down the yep. street who has his own yep. van and you know those guys will be able to tell you more about how to do the business and what to look out for and how to, you know, how to operate more than uh, than the friends who are a little bit jealous that you're starting your business, but don't want to say anything because they kind of like their job, you know, and yeah. that type of situation, you can get into some, into some messes. And mess up your friendships as well.
1: Oh yeah. That's that's one <laughs> of the parts about making a lot more money is all the wonderful friendships you get to, you get to mess up and then try to repair afterward. That's fun. That's, that's really good. That's really weird. You know, I mean, it's like, yeah, people get all weird and jealous. And, and the reality is when you start making more money, you do start doing things differently. You start eating in nicer restaurants, you start driving nicer cars. Um, um, you start drinking better beer, whatever. And, um, and, and, and that changes the way people feel about you. You know, it changes the way people interpret you.
0: Yeah, definitely. And that can, that can be painful too, going through that. And, uh, part of what you said makes a lot of sense as well in that, you, like you said you 'll still feel the criticism you still have the natural human response when uh, somebody says a negative comment your way or something but, but but you do, but it does start to mute out right yeah. over
1: time as you get better, it becomes less and less like you become less and less and less aware
0: you know yeah. and you're tu- you 're tuned in to the what I call the adventure you know the song of the adventure that 's always there, in everybody that desire to get out to walk around to see new things to uh, what I'm curious about is what did it, what did it really feel like? What was going on in your mind? You know, so you have this doctor giving you a diagnosis, which, as we both know from the hypnosis backgrounds, is is a pretty powerful suggestion. You have this guy, right. one of the first you know suits and people you see emerging from our, your mother is these doctor figures, and everyone's adhering to their advice constantly. So what happens when you get that hypnotic suggestion? Oh, you'll never be able to walk correctly. You have to wear these. So yeah, so, so this was really interesting
1: because it was the same time frame that all this kind of collapsed on each other. And so what happened was um, at the exact same time, my buddy, Matt Bagel, Matt was a natural born runner. This guy could run like the wind from the time he was a little kid. He was just, he was a speed demon. And in like sixth grade, he was running at varsity level or some, you know, some, He had to get like a special thing from his parents to sign that would allow him to go and race against all the high schoolers. And then he still whooped their ass, you know? Wow, yeah. And so, so this is my buddy, Matt Daigle. He wrote, he, he, he rode on uh, the same bus as me and um, cross country running is is not the the most popular sport usually i mean running is more popular is the most popular sport in america right now which is a big change from the 90s i'll tell you um cross-country running uh you know soccer always beat cross-country running you know we didn't have a football team because our school was too small but soccer you know if if you had any athletic prowess you went straight to soccer Right? You didn't join the uh, the cross-country team. So the cross-country team generally got all the dregs of the people who didn't want to play soccer for whatever reason. And uh, that was me because I sucked at coordination. And uh, so so it was the last day of school in eighth grade, and Matt Daigle was like, yo, you're going to um, come out for the cross-country team or are you going to sit at home playing video games all through ninth grade? You know, And I was like, oh. Dude, I can't even walk. And he's like, "Oh, you'll be fine. Come on." And so, out. And, and what happened was, um, I went to my first practice, and we had to we had to run around the field a couple of times. So it was a mile run warm up. And I remember during the warm up, I was going, I was running, I was hurting, I didn't feel good, and I like, you know, if you're not used to running, you run a mile, you feel like crap. And then, then the real run started and we finally started running. We were going and I was out running and all of a sudden for the first time in my life, I was hit with this experience where I was not stressed for the first time. Where I, It was my first real hit of endorphins. I got instantly addicted is what it comes down to. Yeah. But um, for the first time, a veil of stress was lifted from my psyche and I felt, Genuinely good for the first time in my recorded memory, and I, wow! And I, I immediately wanted more of that. And so what happened was I started running. I started running. I started running, and um, I just I I got into it. Even though my knees were banging together, even though you know I, I was slowest guy on the team, all these things, um, I, I got into it. I had no other community of people that was accepting of me at all. It was one thing that I could do where I could do it by myself and, and, and nobody had to pass me the ball. I could just go out and do my thing. And two weeks later, I went in for my annual leg exam at Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center in Hanover, New Hampshire. It had been a couple of years since I had gone in for my leg exam because my parents got divorced and all that kind of crazy family stuff. So I'm in there and the doctor looks at my legs and looks at my parents and looks at me and looks at my legs and looks at the x-rays and looks at my, you know, I don't remember I was in there with my dad or my mom or what, but basically the doctor's like, usually kids outgrow this by your age. We should have caught this a few years ago, but now your bones are starting to harden. You're at a very um, rough situation uh, because we can't just put braces on your legs now because they're, they're already too hard. They're already two formed. that We should have done that a couple of years ago. So we're like, crap. Like, so you have two options. Either A, spend the rest of your life with your legs pointing in, or B, we break them both. We put flat breaks in both of your femurs. We spin both femurs out. We put six to eight pins in each leg. We uh, give you full um, you know, hip down casts for six months to a year, and then braces again for six months to a year after that. And this is two weeks into me discovering cross-country running. And um, what ended up happening was uh, I was like, "Well, will I ever run again?" They're like, "No, <laughs> no, no. I mean, no. You won't ever run again." And I, and I was like, "Or I have to basically spend the rest of my life with my legs all messed up." And they're like, "Yep, that's basically what you got for options." And I was like, "Damn it! Can we at least do the operation after this cross country season, and I'll just make this one count?" And they're like, "Yep." And we scheduled it in for the day after my birthday in January. And, uh, I went back to cross country the next day and I ran my ass off. And what happened was in a couple of weeks, I started running seven miles to school, going to school, going to cross country practice. And then I started running home Mm -hmm. and I, 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 I was just putting all my juice and my body was taking it. Like my body wasn't breaking down. That is amazing. And, and, and three quarters of the way through the cross country season, my coach Bill Bellion he, he he says, Telly, because everybody called me Telly back then, short for Tellman. He says, Telly, come here. Come here. You know, he had a big vein in his forehead. Bill Delian comes over. He says, you look at your legs. You look at your feet. What are you talking about? And he's like, I think they're straightening out. <laughs> and I looked at my gait while I was running. And sure enough, my literally, my legs were bending back around forward. And through sheer force of will, through mind over matter, in one cross-country season, I bent my legs back forward, and it was a complete medical miracle and that was where i was at the point of my life where I was finding myself really for the first time, and where I realized I could just do whatever the fuck I wanted yeah and so I just kept milking that <laughs> you know i I've been kind of reminding myself of that ever since is um uh you, you really can, and for me, it um took a very scary moment of, of losing something that I found very important. Uh, you know, it was a new thing for me. I'd only been running for a couple of weeks, but I found it very important to keep. And, um, apparently that drove me enough to just go full force and ignore everybody else's warnings, you know? So, um, I've just kind of carried that on into my entrepreneurial life and, and, and in my life as a father and, and all these types of things, that same level of, um, standing up for what you believe in and just going after it full force. Don't ever sacrifice your morals, your principles, your ethics, and and what you believe in um, just because somebody else doesn't believe in you. You know, that's not the point. The point is to believe in yourself so much that the people that do
0: believe in you will be magnetized to you. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. And I see exactly how that relates, uh, relates to business finding your tribe and everything. So where did that connect for you? So you went you finished high school, you now you're running, you're yeah, full steam ahead. Where when and then you got into the uh you must have connected with the mindset stuff when you got into hypnosis and then uh, your brain Yeah, evolved. in
1: college I studied altered states of consciousness, peak performance. I apprenticed with several different shamans from around the world, studied binaural beats and brainwaves and um, got really got into perception. And, um, and I didn't finish college because my dad ended up going into a chemical coma in the hospital and this whole crazy thing. But uh, I did become a hypnotherapist. And um, for me, that was, I was trying, I was in college to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And at that point, that made perfect sense. So I became a hypnotherapist and I, after college, I ended up opening up uh, six different offices and um, basically, I hypnotized everybody in Vermont, and New Hampshire, and I just hypnotized a lot of people, uh, all one-on-one. I did that for about seven years, and then I, I live in a ten-thousand-person town now in Vermont, and slightly bigger than the one I grew up in, but way cooler. Um, and uh, and and I got tired of how much money I could make trading my time for money. So I'm kind of fast-forwarding through this here sure, sure. Um, to today. Um, You know, I started a whole bunch of businesses that failed before I was even a hypnotist. You know, my first first business was the salsa company and all all this other stuff. But I ended up becoming a hypnotist, doing that for a long time, and I wanted to break free of the local economy, but I liked where I lived. So I said, the internet. Let's go study the internet. In 2004, I went online and um, I looked around at all the people in personal development because as a hypnotist trying to sell hypnosis online in some way, shape or form, personal development is really the closest thing. Right. Mm-hmm. When I say hypnotist, I don't mean a stage hypnotist, uh, for comedy. Um, I mean, a, a hypnotherapist helping people with, you know, just deal with various issues. Right. Yeah. And, um, what ended up happening is I realized that everybody that was making significant money online at the time had email lists. And, um, uh, so I ended up doing a big interview series about email lists and and really dove into email marketing. And, um, for me, that was the ticket to, to actual cash, right. Is when I learned about email marketing and, and building email lists, that was the first time that I was ever actually able to make money in my life. Like I was free, I could wear whatever I wanted to, I could, you know, do all sorts of weird stuff, not, you know, and be kind of like bulletproof to insults and I could run real fast Uh, but I couldn't make any money and that sucked. Um, you know, like, yeah, I still had buddies that were working full-time jobs that were making more money than I was, even when I was hypnotizing eight people a day on occasion, you know? So it was like, the the math just wasn't working out.
0: Yeah.
1: And so I learned leverage. I, I learned how to um, focus on, uh, instead of trying to talk to one person or sell to one person at a time, I learned about selling to 100,000 people at a time. I know that's a big jump for most people, but if you want a big jump in your income, you need to have a big jump in your, in your thinking and the way that you're doing things. Mm-hmm. And so for me, list building was the ticket and um, you know, building a large following of people who wanted to hear from me on a regular basis. And so I started numerous internet businesses all around that um, some hypnosis based, um, some marketing based all more or less under the umbrella of overcome everything, which is the name of my company. And, um, I, and now I've been doing that for 12 years, 12 years. And I've been doing internet, um, and and email marketing for 12 years with various businesses that I've started and, and clients that I've worked with. And, um, the way all this comes together now is that uh I mentioned earlier in the interview that I was really not very good at school. I was a very slow reader, and as a result, I really ended up learning how to read via comic books because uh the sentences are much shorter there 's a lot more pictures right and um the the there's less opportunity for the letters to start swimming around on the page if you 're not really good at tracking that kind of stuff and so i've always loved superheroes and um this entire time, my entire life, I've, I, I have a huge comic book library. I think I've watched every superhero cartoon mm-hmm. on the internet, you know, and uh, I've never been able to bring one of these hobbies, one of these joys of my life in directly into my business before. And, and I recently cracked the code with this new type of email. So for those of you that are entrepreneurs, to, for folks that are email marketers interested in building your list, um, this is a really interesting thing that I discovered. And it's this concept of fictional email. And so what I've started doing is creating fictional emails to give people a totally different experience of of email. I, I realized that all of the in your inbox, everything is a fact. Everything's always a fact. It's it it may be a conversation, you know, some plans for for, for dinner tonight, or it might be um you know, a a transaction for a receipt from something that you bought or you're on an email list and you're getting education, maybe some educational videos or blog posts or maybe it's iTunes sending you a notification that a new season, a new uh, episode of, you know, um, the flash just, you know, populated in your account or whatever, but it's all fact. And so what I started doing is I started um, creating these fictional characters and sending emails to my list from the, these um, purely fictional characters. And I started getting this massive increase in response. So if I would send an email out, normally it would make me $1,000, right? For example, sending one of these types of emails out will make me $10,000. Wow. Selling the same product or service at the end, except it's pure fiction. And so um, we're calling it Project Here and basically what we're doing is clients who have big emails emails that are looking responsive and we're injecting this fictional email writing stuff. So we're calling it Project Hero and it's pretty awesome. Um, essentially what we're doing is we're creating fictional superheroes, fictional characters for businesses that every single time can go in and outsell and outconvert the guru or the company name that they send from. So if you don't have an email list and you don't study email marketing at this point, I'm talking gibberish to you. That's okay. Everybody else, um, you know, uh, if you have a big email list, if you, if you if you like this idea of supercharging the responsiveness of your list, uh, we, we do a lot of that kind of stuff. And it's very, very exciting because it's a new, as far as i can tell it's really a new art form that we've created where we've where we've blended email with fiction in a way that's driving enormous sales so it's it's a really interesting combination of things that um took me a long time to figure out so that's what i'm working on now uh and we got some we got some great clients under our belt and we got some really really cool uh secret projects that i'm not allowed to talk about that are underway but um
0: yeah, we're doing, doing a lot of good stuff with it. It's, it's, it's pretty fascinating. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of fun. I saw one, um, one of the emails Ben Settle had sent out uh, or that, uh, I received from Bigfoot, which was, uh, yeah,
1: Ben and I, um, we, we uh, he interviewed me. Right. And then, uh, and we had a big conversation about this. We had met at an event a few months back and yeah, and yeah, he, he, um, implemented the Bigfoot, uh, email and sent
0: it out. That, That was pretty cool. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, and I could see the, um, yeah, I could see how powerful it was. I wanted to read it and open it right away, and I instantly started getting ideas of how I'd write to my own list. Uh, yeah, some, uh, some exciting stories like that. And uh, I've got a few guys right now working on. Uh, just had them start writing daily emails, even to no one. So, uh, and at first they said, "What the what? You know, what the hell am I doing?" But immediately they're looking around and seeing that every story, everything that happens in their life, suddenly comes into service of this, and they're actually identifying who they wanna connect with, what they wanna be doing, and actually yeah. how to connect what they know with actually selling something. Uh, so even yeah. doing emails in that case is getting them inspired and then uh, helping them to see who those emails will one day connect with. So it's, it's kind of a beautiful mm-hmm. process to get started even without knowing how it's gonna go. Uh, and I think uh, some of the inspiration can come from what you're up to, telling these fictional uh, emails, that's a wonderful idea. And it's going to stand out so much from all the, like we talked about all the sort of stifled, factual marketing emails. Not that there's something wrong with those, but that they don't, they just don't stand out because there's so many millions of them flowing into everybody's inbox. That's right. But you see this one from Bigfoot or from, uh, from Superman or something like that, and wow, it's, it's
1: oh yeah. Well, I want to say, don't ever send out from Superman. Superman's trademarked. Never send out from a no. trademark character. Can't send out from Mickey Mouse. Can't right. send out from Donald Duck.
0: It's true. Yeah, I knew. I know uh, one of the guys who used to draw for Warner Brothers cartoons, and he's not even allowed to essentially draw those characters. Right. You no, know, he may have created them. You know. Right. He can't draw them into into his own drawings without getting into some uh, into some shit over that so yeah yep good idea there gotta, so,
1: gotta respect other people's ideas <laughs>
0: kind, of, well, case, kind of yeah Bigfoot contracts but, Big, yeah
1: bigfoot is free game
0: right definitely and then creating your own you know or writing one from a zombie came to mind like oh I, I hate this product you know I'm a zombie kind of thing you know or, that's right get playful with it yeah, well, I really like that idea and uh Definitely, if folks are listening. Go over and check out some of the links we'll have up for uh, for what Telman has going on for the fictional emails, and uh, otherwise, you'll see all those where you're listening to or viewing this. Uh, if you want to know more, you can dive in from there. Uh, thanks very much for coming on the show, Telman. It's great to hear all these stories and just to to get a dose of your vibrant energy. It's wonderful. Yeah, well, thanks for the invite. I appreciate it. Yeah, man, no problem. And uh, I wish you the best in everything that you're working on. And uh, maybe we'll have you back on the show again sometime soon. We can get into a little more detail about all the stuff we fast forwarded through. Sounds fascinating. That'd be awesome. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. And uh, anything else you'd like to add before we call it a day?
1: You know, um, yeah. Uh, Guys, so here's the deal. If you are going to start a business or you have a business and you aren't focusing at least 90 minutes of your day every single day, seven days a week, on building your email list, then you are quite literally circumcising your ability to make money. Okay? Uh, You're intentionally cutting yourself off from an enormous profit stream. And so if there's one, out of everything else, okay, don't give a fuck, do whatever you want, be your your own thing, all this, it's fine, okay, fine. But like, rubber hits road, okay? You need to build your email list. You need to build your email list. You need to build your email list. I don't have time to give you all the arguments right now. All I can say is from the bottom of my heart is email, is and will be for the foreseeable future the most profitable channel to build your business in the world, period, end of story. So if there's any question in your mind about what you should do next, the answer is you should build your email list faster, more regularly, more consistently, with more intensity. You should be dedicating more of your time, more of your effort, more of your energy, more of your focus, definitely more of your money to building your email list, it's an asset that you will have for the rest of your life if you treat it properly. So, um,
0: just going to plant that seed, build your list. It'll change your life. Excellent. And this is coming from the the mouth of someone who's doing it and living it right now, guys. So definitely take action. There you have it. Awesome. Thanks for the awesome interview, Garrett. Yeah. Thanks again, Telman. Really great. Thank you for listening to the art of not giving a fuck podcast. For more info, visit artofnotgivingafuck.com or radicalundoing.com.